September 27, 2018, in Muscat, Oman, first verse of Shikshastaka. and mind in the world and win the acclaim and respect of others. 
When our mind is covered by the mode of sattva, we try to be forgiving and merciful and equal balanced and peaceful so that we can have an inner happiness. But all of those coverings of bhikkhunas are all me-centered. They're all very me-centered. So in the Tamagun, one is thinking, I want immediate happiness at any cost. In Rajagun, one is thinking, I want immediate and long-term happiness through Dharma. And in Sattvagun, one is thinking, I want happiness in the present through harmony and balance. But it's all about me. And the strange thing is that when our mind is all about me, then the mind is unable to see me. Isn't that strange? As soon as I think that everything is about me, I lose the ability to see myself. Now why is that? Because myself has an identity that is part of a whole. We have our eternal identity is as part of something greater than ourselves. Now, we can understand that principle even from a material point of view. From a material point of view, most of us are not happy being just alone. Uh, we want to serve our family or our community or our country. We want to feel that we have some purpose and meaning that is bigger than just feeding ourselves and having a safe place to sleep. Uh, and all of the studies done, done on what motivates humans, what satisfies humans, every study shows that we humans are most motivated when we feel that what we're doing has some meaning beyond ourselves. And we can really only understand ourselves in relation to the whole. We can only find meaning in relation to some whole because our identity is in relation to a whole. It's not independent. Just like the different parts of our body don't really have much meaning unless they're connected to the body. Isn't it? So one time I was waiting in an airport and a number of other devotees were also there. It's a big group we were traveling together. And you know, in the modern airports, they think that you cannot remain without entertainment for more than about five seconds. And so they have big television screens everywhere, right? So anyway, on this television screen, there was some advertisement for some hair product. And there was this young, attractive woman with, you know, unbelievably beautiful hair that you you see in maybe one every ten every ten thousand real humans. Anyway, she had this unbelievably beautiful hair, shiny and thick, and she was swinging her head around and blowing this beautiful hair around. So all the men that were in our group looked at the floor. But I was thinking, if some hair is on the floor, that is not attractive. Isn't it? If you go in the bathroom and there's a bunch of hair, point, I don't know if I should say this or not. One time we stayed, my family and I stayed at some temples many, many years ago, and some uh, gentleman had cut his hair in the bathroom. And so the sink was full of hair and the 
So that was not attractive. Right? If the same beautiful woman with her beautiful hair had left her hair in the wall, or someone has very beautiful eyes, you know, but if you see the eyes, just the eyes, take out the eyes, horrifying. It's revolting. So the parts in our body, they have beauty when they're part of the body, isn't it? When they're connected to the whole. When they're disconnected, what Prabhupada gives the example of a screw. So, those of you who try to help me, you know, notice I never let anybody touch my computer. And you probably think that Maria is a little fanatic. But many years ago, somebody stuck one of these cables into my computer and, you know, you can screw them in, right? You know that? You can screw them in. And then when you take them out, you have to unscrew them. But the person who didn't unscrew them, he simply pulled the cable and he pulled out the inside part of the screw from inside my computer. So once you have the little part, the little part has like no value, right? But inside the computer, it has value. It's a different. When I went to order it, it was like, I don't know, 50 cents per part. I remember they wanted to charge me $20 for shipping, a 50 cent part. So we are like that little screw or the piece of hair that outside of our relationship with the whole, we don't have much value. And we're not very attractive. But connected with the whole, we are very attractive and very valuable. And so as soon as we become me-centered, we really lose an idea of who I am. Krishna says in the Bhagavatam, the definition of illusion is to see anything that has value separate from him. It's just not real. So part of perfection is the mind becomes purified of these gunas of selfishness. And the mind free of these modes, these coverings of self-centeredness is capable of seeing the real self. Now when we see the real self, Krishna says, we relish and rejoice in the self. So there's a lot of propaganda today about loving oneself, yes? This has become very popular in modern psychology and spiritual or so-called spiritual movements. Love yourself. I don't know about any of you, but if I think that I'm this body, it's a little hard to love it all the time. Isn't it? Sometimes it does what I want, and sometimes it does not do what I want. And then, honestly, I do not love it. Sometimes it looks the way I want it to look, and especially as I've gotten older, it never looks the way I want it to So maybe some of you look in the mirror and you go, perfection. But I think most of us, you know, we wish some part was a little smaller and some part was a little bigger or thicker and taller, you know. People buy so many uh, clothes to squish this thing and bump that thing. Now they can go to the doctors, make this part bigger and this part smaller and this part. So if we think that we're the body, it's very hard to love ourselves. Or the mind. 
And I don't know about you, but my mind doesn't always behave. Isn't it? It's kind of like a two-year-old child. That's what it wants to do, or like a monkey. So it's very hard for me to love my mind. Sometimes my mind is my biggest critic. Do you have this problem? Why did you do that? You should have that. So if I think that I am this body or I think that I am this mind, it's hard to love myself. But when the mind is free of the modes and can see the real self, then I love myself. Why? Because I'm part of God and actually each of us, our real self, is absolutely wonderful. Guru Goswami describes 64 qualities of God. Of course, he has unlimited qualities. And he says that the soul has 50 of these qualities. And these are things like always youthful, beautiful, a genius. Wouldn't that be nice to be a genius? A great linguist, very kind. So many wonderful qualities, powerful, effulgent. We, the soul, have no imperfections. Everything about us is wonderful. So once we see ourselves, we're like, wow, I love myself. Now you can't do that materially. You can't be imitated. And Krishna also says that perfection is having boundless, transcendental happiness realized through transcendental senses. So in material life, all my happiness has a boundary, isn't it? If you eat some food you really like, when you're finished eating, the happiness is gone. And when you're eating, you're involving some of your senses, your taste, your smell, your touch, your eyes, maybe even your ears, I don't know, if you're enjoying. There's food scientists, actually, that say we enjoy food depending on how it sounds when we chew it also. But mostly it's taste, right? It's not so much eyes or ears. We don't have very many experiences that involve all of our senses to an unlimited extent. I can't think of any. All pleasures involve mostly one or two senses, and then up, up, there's a limit. There's a limit to the quality of enjoyment, there's a limit to the quantity of enjoyment. And often, you have to pay for the enjoyment, isn't it? Often before and after. If you want to have a good meal, you have to make enough money to buy the food, or you have to grow the food. Right? You have to shop, and you have to prepare, and then afterwards you have to clean up, and maybe you have to rest. So there's some austerity before and after. It's like an austerity sandwich. You know? There's two pieces of very dry bread inside something else. But Krishna says perfection is boundless, transcendental. Transcendental means above the ordinary senses and the mind. It has no limit of space or time. 
and enjoy through transcendental senses. So Srila Prabhupada liked to explain that we, the real soul, have senses. Just like right now, we're wearing some clothing, and this clothing fits around my body. And this body that I have is actually there because I, the soul, have senses. I'm sure many of you know of something called near-death experiences, where someone dies like in the surgery theater, the operating room, and they leave their gross body. And then they come back in their body and they say what they have seen, what they have done. So generally, when people are out of their body, they can see 360 degrees. Did you know that? Like, you know, I'm limited. My peripheral vision is limited. So when someone's in the subtle body, their senses are much greater in capacity. And what to speak of the spiritual senses. So when we realize the self, the spiritual senses become uncovered. And those spiritual senses are capable of boundless happiness. He also says that spiritual perfection is never departing from the truth. So generally in life, we see a little bit of truth sometimes. Generally, we really don't know what to do, what not to do. We're trying to decide, should I go here or there? Should I buy this or that? Should I get this job or that job? Should I marry this person? How many children should I have? All these things, and we don't really know what is true and what is not true. But real perfection is when I am always in truth. I can always perceive things as they are. Which would mean that I can always make very good decisions. And it also means that my life is in harmony with reality. The more that we are in harmony with reality, the more that we are at peace and the more that we are feeling joy. Krishna also says that when one has achieved perfection, one genuinely feels there's nothing better than this that I could achieve. Now, materially, that's not the case, is it? Right? You get a beautiful new house, and then you see, oh, it has this problem. And then, oh, boy. And, oh, you know, I could have gotten a house with a balcony over here. And this thing doesn't... And whatever we achieve, we think, you know, there's something better. Right? Isn't it like that? But Krishna says spiritual perfection is when you really feel, you know, there's nothing better than this. I have everything I want and I cannot imagine it being better. Of course, spiritual perfection is also dynamic. It's ever increasing. It's not that you get to a point with spiritual perfection. It's like this is the best and you kind of stop there and then you're bored. But it keeps increasing and increasing and increasing. And then Krishna says, never being shaken, even in the midst of the greatest difficulty. So many times we're shaken by very small difficulties. Right? They can be something very, very, very small. Something, something isn't opening. Something isn't working. Somebody didn't call on the phone when they were supposed to call. We can't find something that we need. 
and we become shaken, isn't it? We can become completely distraught for some very small thing. And here Krishna is saying, even in the greatest difficulty, greatest difficulty means what? You've lost all your money, you've lost all your friends, you are accused of some crime you didn't do and put into jail in some, you know, despite governments and tortured. That would be kind of the greatest difficulty, right? Not shaken. Haridas Thakur was beaten in 23 different villages, 23 marketplaces. And he was not disturbed. Pralada Maharaj, his father, tried to kill him in so many ways. Oh, thank you. Hare Krishna. Well, we see in Shiva Prabhupada's life, right? he had a successful business, then it failed. He tried to start the League of Devotees in India, that failed. He tried to work with the spiritual master's organization, that didn't work out very well. Right? He was living in poverty without a home, but he wasn't shaken. I mean, sometimes he said, he would ask Krishna, what did I do wrong? But he wasn't shaken. He wasn't disturbed. And of course, the ultimate spiritual perfection is achieved by realizing ourselves in relation to Krishna. It's not that we realize our spiritual self in just some vague, general way, but we realize how we are a servant of Krishna. In what mood do I want to serve Krishna eternally? Each of us has a personal, individual, unique, eternal relationship with Krishna. So how do we achieve that perfection? So the essence is that we engage in what's called bhakti yoga, where we reunite with our source and with the whole through loving devotional service. Shiva Rupa Goswami, one of our acharyas, one of our great teachers, has analyzed bhakti yoga as having 64 limbs or 64 activities. Now some of those 64 activities are uh, very specific, like taking charanamrita, and some of them have many subcategories, like archana, like worshiping and deity. But uh, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu especially tells us that of all of these angas of bhakti, the most powerful is chanting the holy name of the Lord. Now, Rupa Goswami gives five most powerful items of bhakti. Anybody know what they are? Yes. Loudly enthusiastic people in this hall. Deity worship. Yes, of course you're in the front. Association of devotees. Excellent. So deity worship, association of devotees. Somebody else. Pass the mic to somebody else. Ah, yes, 
going to the holy places, yes? The two of us. Okay, that's three. Bhagavatam and Harina. So these are the five most potent. It says that just a little touch with any of them can bring out ecstasy even if you are a beginner. And of these five, the chanting of the holy name is the most important. I'd like us to just think for a moment. Uh, Srila Prabhupada gave us, thank you, five vows at the time of initiation. So four of those vows are not really spiritual. They're just about how to get free of the influence of Kali Yuga, how to get out of the mode of ignorance. You can be vegetarian and not have illicit sex and not gamble, uh, not take intoxication and be an atheist, yeah? There, there's, those things are not spiritual, isn't it? Many people in the world don't gamble. Many people are vegetarian, and it's becoming very popular. Uh, many people have uh, proper sexual relationships. And there are many people who don't take intoxication. So that's not something spiritual. But the one thing, the only one thing that Prabhupada asked us to vow about spirituality was to chant Hare Krishna Mantra the 16 pounds every day. And he writes in Chaitanya Charitamrita that this is his most important instruction. So we're going to look at how the chanting of the holy name of the Lord brings us all this perfection. And we're going to do that by going part by part through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's first verse of the Shikshastra. So he says that the holy name cleans the mirror of the heart, cleans the mirror of the mind. So remember we talked about that perfection is when the mind, the pure mind, can see the real self and how wonderful the real self is. So what's going to clean the mind? What is going to be that process of removing passion and ignorance and even goodness from the mind? That is the holy name. Why does the holy name do that? Why does the holy name remove these modes from the mind and the heart. Because it connects us with the whole. Remember we were saying our real identity is in relationship with the whole. That as soon as we're chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama, Immediately we are in connection with the whole. And as soon as we have that connection, then the, the clouds become removed. The mind has, has this kind of mirror that reflects back to us our self-concept. And as we have this connection with the hold, it becomes clean. We, we got a little uh, silver thing the other day, and I was polishing it. And as I was polishing it, the, the black was removed, yeah? And the silver had little designs carved into it. And so the black tarnish had gotten within the crevices of the design. And it looked like it was actually a part of the design, but it wasn't. And as you removed it, you came to see the real design. Huh? Or if you've ever had a very dirty room full of junk, and you start to clean it out, and then you see the actual beauty of the room. 
Isn't it like that? Right? Or if you've ever burnt some food in a pot, which I have done, and then you have this really stuck on burnt thing at the bottom of the pot, right? So at first you're just scrubbing, scrubbing, and after a while, the color of the pot starts to show. Yes? So as we chant and chant and chant, we're removing this covering of modes from the mirror of the mind, and the real self starts to be visible. So this chanting puts out the fire of material life. Remember we were talking about thinking that there's no greater gain and how in material happiness we're always thinking there's something better. It's like a fire, isn't it? That we just, we just don't feel satisfied. And in fact, this lack of satisfaction is one of the main indicators that material life is not our original position. It's not our original home. If it was, we would feel satisfied with material things, wouldn't we? So you're not going to like what I have to say. Actually, the kids should hear what I'm about to say. They're not going to do it. Oh, well. Hare Krishna. So, in modern society, maybe I shouldn't say this, I don't know. In modern society, our parents, our teachers, the media, our government, what do they tell us is the way to be happy? Earn money. Yeah. Get a job with a high status. Right? This is why if you talk to most educated people from India, you already know what job they do without asking. Isn't it? Oh, you work in IT, you're an engineer, you work in finance, maybe you're a doctor. That's like it. Because no parent will tolerate, oh, my child wants to be a journalist. My child wants to be a musician or something. <gasps> Terrible. How will you earn enough money and get enough status in society? Isn't it? So this fire. You have to get more and more and more and more and more and more and more. But when we chant, something wonderful happens. And Krishna swallows that fire. We no longer feel. This is why people get very upset when some family member becomes a devotee. You know that, right? I was just dealing with this in Dubai. So this one gentleman in his 50s, he has taken up Krishna consciousness and his family didn't like this very much because he didn't want to work hard anymore. He said, you know, I already have made so much money in life he said, I already have made enough money. We can all live happily the rest of our lives. Now I want to chant our Krishna. No. <laughs> I mean, who did I have there? His wife, his two grown children, his sister, her husband, his brother, and his wife, and a few other people there also. They had all come to meet with me. They wanted me to tell him to stop chanting Hare Krishna and go back and make more money. Unfortunately, I didn't tell them that. I don't know how happy they were with me. Now, the Krishna swallows this fire. Therefore, again, I don't know if I should say this one. He says, don't go see that Govinda, Sandy. That's what I was thinking after I met with this family. 
Don't go see Govinda playing his flute by the bank of the Yamuna. Don't go there. You may lose your attachment to your material success. Because you realize there is no such thing as material success. It's just an ever-burning fire. So Krishna swallows that fire. Of course, you might still do your work for Krishna. That would be very nice. We, need, we would like to have Hare Krishna devotees running the world governments and the world's businesses and the world's universities. We'd like to have God-conscious people. It doesn't have to be but we like to have God-conscious people running everything in the world. It's not that we want all the God-conscious people to just sit down and meditate. But this urge to get better and better, and more and more and more and more, for my own sense gratification, becomes finished. I can do it for Krishna, but for myself, I don't And it spreads moonshine on the white lotus of good fortune. So many lotuses bloom in the sun, but some lotuses bloom in the moon. So our real good fortune awakens. Now again, we tend to think of fortune as I have a lot of money in the bank. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money in the bank. That's okay. But that's not the only measure of fortune. According to Shastra, there are six ways to be fortunate. You know that? Everybody knows there are six ways to be fortunate. So one of them is in virya. Virya means strength, power, potency, good health, mental strength, physical strength. Then there's Sri. Sri is with beauty. If you have a beautiful home, you're surrounded by a beautiful garden. You have uh, beautiful paintings and artwork in your home. It also means splendor and charisma, elegance, leadership based on charisma. Then there's Aishwarya. Aishwarya is connected to the word Ishvara. So this is the prosperity of leadership. People respect you. They follow you. Also, it involves autonomy. You have some uh, control over your own life. You can make the decisions that you want to make. Uh, and then there is Yasha. Yasha is, uh, Yavadvitam is the child of Kirti and Dharma. So Yasha means people like you because you're worthy. It's not just some famous person who's famous for doing something crazy or stupid. But it means people like you because you, you, are, you are a good person. So Yasha is the richness of community. It's the richness of family, a loving family, a loving community. People respect you, they like you, they speak well of you. Then there's the richness of Jnana. You know things. You have knowledge. You have an education. You are wise. He knows how to figure things out. And then there's the richness of vairagya. Uh, vairagya is freedom, detachment, the ability to be happy when things are good and when things are bad, the ability to be peaceful, 
if other people are angry with you or other people are not angry with you. If you have money, you do not have money. The ability to be peaceful and happy in any situation. And it can also mean the richness of not having a lot of things. You know, I know some people who are traveling musicians who use their music to preach Krishna consciousness. So they are enjoying this wealth of Vaibhagya because they are traveling without a lot of possessions. And the wealth of Yen because they are preaching philosophy. And the wealth of Sri because they are creating beauty. So there are these six ways to be uh, fortunate, even on a material level. It's not just about cash. And all of these ways of being fortunate originally come from the goddess of fortune. Now, if we try to have any of these six ways of fortune by taking away Lakshmi from Narayan, taking away Sita from Ram, we become like Ravana. And that very good ending to that story for Ravana. If we become like Hanuman and we try to bring Sita to Ram, then we get this fortune as actually Lakshmi Devi. So as soon as we are chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, 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 Rama
But when the jiva is united with the infinite, the jiva's capacity for enjoyment becomes infinite. Shiva Prabhupada puts it as we enjoy through Krishna. And then we enjoy everything that Krishna enjoys. So we have this ocean of happiness that keeps increasing. moments, a taste of the nectar of love of God. That's what we're looking for, a thrill at every moment. Right? In material life, we get a little bit of thrill here and there. But spiritually, it's a thrill at every moment. And when we are connecting to the Lord, especially through His holy name, we can access that on the spiritual platform, there is always something new. This expanded ocean of happiness is not just It's thrilling. It's exciting. Right? We're speaking to our hosts about their journey to cater and right? going on these roads where you only have two centimeters between the wheel and the cliff, and then going up in a helicopter to the top of the mountain, and it's so cold. Right? And I'm thinking, that sounds awful. And then, oh, we love the adventure. So we Jeevas, we want to thrill, isn't it? We don't want to just have some boring bliss. Boring bliss. We want to thrill. We want excitement. We want adventure. So the holy name brings us into Krishna's pastimes that are full of adventure. And then it's like a cooling, refreshing bath. Just like when you're very hot and sweaty. You can all relate to that, right? Some parts of the world, if I say that, they look at me and go, huh? <laughs> but if you're very hot and sweaty, it cool you down, it's so wonderful. Squash off all that dirt and sweat. So the only name is like that. You feel just like you're being bathed in something that's purifying and refreshing. Prabhupada commenting on this talked about how some devotees were imprisoned in Australia in Melbourne early in the movement for chanting on the streets and they wrote to Prabhupada and said should we pay $2,000 to a lawyer Prabhupada said no, just chant in the jail <laughs> so they did and by their chanting in the jail the authorities had changed their perspective and the leader of the Christian church in Australia protested and said, these are actually religious people, you should let them. So Prabhupada gave that as the example that the chanting of the holy name 
is always victorious. It's explained nicely in the Bhagavatam that if you don't know what to do, you can always chant. That that will always work. Okay, so now we're going to go through the Shikshastika. Now that we've discussed all the different parts, we're going to go through with the Sanskrit and a little meditation on the Shikshastika. Thank you.